0: 6 rezonings, 10 bike routes, and 12 OP's. This week, OP-12 has shown up again before council, but they appear to be a bit more bearish on the idea.
1: Plus, we learn more about the bike routes being built in 2024, and there are 6 rezonings, testing the limits of the new zoning bylaw.
0: Hi, I'm Troy. I hate change, and I'm very uncomfortable right now. (laughs) I'm Stephanie. And we're Speaking Speaking municipally. Municipally. Welcome back to Speaking Municipally, episode 252. If you didn't get the hint off the top, uh, Mac is away this week, and we are guest hosted by Stephanie, the esteemed Taproot reporter. Welcome back to the show.
1: (laughs) Thank you. It's so good to be here. I'm moving up in the ranks, all of you Speaking Municipally listeners out there. I was a listener for a long time, and you too can co-host Speaking Municipally (laughs) if you put your mind to it.
0: Uh, Please don't try, though. (laughs) I know many of our listeners, uh, because they listen to this podcast, are curmudgeonly. Therefore, they hate change. So, Stephanie, is this the big change? Have you replaced Mac? Did you kill him behind a shed and bury his body?
1: (laughs) I did not do that we have lots of great folks here at taproot that are very smart and lots of people that we can lean on we like to have some different co-hosts on from time to time so i am the first experiment of that and yeah it's just i think just good to have some new voices and perspectives on the show uh sometimes
0: yeah i mean when i started doing this podcast um I don't know. What is it? Almost six years ago now, I was joyous and baby faced. And at that point, Mac was already old and haggard. So like to expect that old man to show up every week is asking (laughs) a lot. Uh, Some youthful vigor is probably helpful. That said, um, I'm looking in the notes that are left and allegedly we are always open to your feedback. (laughs) Uh, So do let us know if you have any, you can go uh, hello at taprootedmonton.ca and send all your email comments or if they're bad just tweet them we already talked about taproot so the top ad spot is taproot itself like stephanie said off the top taproot is a big team you've got a lot of talent up and down the line what's the best way someone can help taproot to continue to do more
1: well they can become a member um
0: <laughs> you don't know the price do you
1: no, I, don't know the I, price think, I think it's a hundred dollars a year and i don't know what the Oh, you really put me on the spot
0: here. Where is um, Business Daddy when you need him? I know. Oh, hey there! It's Business Baby from the booth, and let me tell you all about Taproot membership. It is ten dollars a month, one hundred dollars a year. What a bargain! And there are some member perks: Taproot newsletters by email, early access to new stories, events, etc. You get to feel good knowing that Taproot's content remains free, and you get like Taproot Edmonton stickers and other swags. With additional benefits coming soon. Wow, that's a deal. Yes. Of course, there are things that you do know specifically about because I heard you and Karen were both at NASH teaching a bunch of bright-eyed, cheery journalists about journalism and getting into the industry.
1: Our great team at Tapperative as we've been talking about, we uh, were at Nash 86 this weekend. It was put on at Nate, my alma mater. And it was a really great experience. On the first day, I did a panel with Taylor Brought from CBC Calgary and Ashita Verma from CBC Edmonton. And we talked about like being a young woman in, in news. And then the second day I did like really breaking down how to get a job in journalism. I feel like a lot of young journalists probably listen to this podcast. So like, uh, reach out to me if you want that presentation, or if you want any help on your resume and stuff. Karen on the second day hosted a really great keynote about the future of news and how we should have hope and not doom about the future of news. And it was it was lovely.
0: Yeah, and that is actually a novel take in news these days. Uh, It is very easy to say that news is going down the toilet. But Honestly, you know, I am outside the Taproot organization. I'm not an official employee of Taproot, though many people do assume that I am. And people will come up to me and say, I'm so surprised how many people Taproot has. Uh, Journalism startups, you know, are typically one dude who is doing their darndest and not paying themselves not to... Get into your financial business here, but you're being paid for your work. Yeah, so definitely. that's that is a good news story. And you can find more good news stories in Taproot. Uh, mm-hmm. Karen talked about on the show how there's a Taprootiness to some of the stories. And Crime and murder is not quite that taprooty story.
1: And my mental health is very good because of that.
0: <laughs> we're gonna talk about probably the closest that Council gets to a murder spree, and that's the murder of <laughs> the budget by <via> OP12. <laughs> Council is debating this today. We're recording Wednesday. We had talked the last time you were on the podcast that there were some uh well, less than favorable cuts proposed in OP-12. Mm-hmm. Since the initial report has come out, I've seen Perhaps counselors and the mayor get a bit more bearish, a little more hesitant to push forward with OP 12 What has the discussion been like so far?
1: One big thing that I took away is that some of the counselors and the mayor kind of like regretted even starting this whole operation because there it is already a very lean budget. That's what uh, city manager Andre Corbold said. That's what uh, Aaron Paquette said. It's just already so lean. And uh, one thing that Paquette said was we're doing all these cuts. Is is it going to start affecting quality of life? And I think Rutherford said something along the same lines of we're going to start cutting into the flesh uh, unpopular ideas They generally were uh, cutting funding to the Edmonton Heritage Council. A lot of councillors said, just don't even think about that. Take that off the list. Generating revenue from BIAs, you know, hurting the small business uh, community. Charging for patio permits, same kind of thing. Uh, I think that is really in line with council's, you know, vibrancy, street life, It just doesn't seem to match up with their wishes. Another thing was pursuing corporate naming rights. Uh,
0: The uh, Edmonton funicular powered by Budweiser. (laughs) Uh, You too cannot want this to open.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So if it's something like that, if it's named after a a company, will people realize that that's a public place that's being paid for with their tax dollars? So yeah, there were lots of unpopular things. It kind of seemed like the councillors were a little bit like shell-shocked. Like, wow, this is tough.
0: Yeah, of course, podcast listeners will remember that the Clairview Community Recreation Center, council voted 8-5 to rename that in a 10-year deal to the Jumpstart Community Recreation Center, of course, after Canadian Tires Jumpstart Charity. So we have dabbled in the naming rights. Mm-hmm. But I think the big thing with OP-12 is that a lot of these smaller items that'll get us to the $240 million, are things that hurt, mm-hmm. things that may get us $50,000 or $600,000, but small amounts of money that really hurt people and really feel the sting. So for the amount we would get back, the political hit, I just can't see council going for a lot of those things. And of course, the specter hovering over all of this is CSU 52 has voted mm-hmm. overwhelmingly in favor of a strike. You know, with police getting over three years a, around 7% increase, that's not unreasonable for CSU 52 to ask for the same thing that those unions already got. But CSU 52 getting a raise like that, in terms of the tax levy, you're talking it could be anywhere from 2 to 6% increase just to support these raises. Council already can't stomach that, so do they need to offset with more cuts? I think Council will be looking with a lot of trepidation at what's coming, and maybe will be a little bit gun-shy on some of these cuts, because at the end of the day, if you need to make up hundreds of millions of dollars, cutting a bunch of important $50,000 programs isn't going to do it. You need large structural changes. And I don't think council is quite ready to commit to that yet.
1: Uh, One of the city staff brought up how years ago they made some pretty big cuts to snow and ice control in an effort to, you know, control the budget. And then years later, uh, the residents were just so mad. And a similar thing uh, when they pulled transit peace officers, pulled back the hours. Again, it made things so bad. And I also think another interesting thing is that you make these cuts and it can actually lead to decreased revenues. One example is if you cut back the amount of parking enforcement staff and you save $500,000, that will decrease your parking fine revenue by three million dollars so you increase by 500k and you lose three million dollars that was just an example of some of the trade-offs that someone in administration brought up to a counselor inquiry but it's kind of like the big picture that you have to look at
0: op12 is basically a big reorganization some of its cuts but the bulk of op12 is a reallocation of funding to council priorities and council is not the only person moving things around the George spady Society specifically will be relocating its medically supported detox program out of the downtown location a little bit further west into Jasper Place.
1: It's going to be right beside the Jasper Place Transit Center. So this building is Uh, already going to be occupied by George Spady. And they actually, before this rezoning, they were still able to operate a medically supported detox center there, but they just wanted to double the space that they're allowed to use. So there wasn't really a change. It was just making it bigger. Yeah, it's part of this move to decentralize social services. And I also thought maybe, I mean, obviously I have no experience with this, but moving away from kind of concentrated drug use downtown that might help move people out of that triggering situation of, well, I could just go down the street and relapse into my old life. And that could be part of the reason why they, Uh, chose that location. Uh, Something interesting is that the CEO of the George Spady Society said that the supervised consumption site that operates in the current location downtown will be moving in the future, but not at this point yet. They're not ready to move it yet. So yeah, a supervised consumption site could be coming to that area.
0: And of course, supervised consumption sites can't just up and move. We need provincial approval to operate an SCS in any given area location.
1: It's interesting because a few years ago in uh, summer of 2022, AHS moved its downtown detox center to Northeast Edmonton out by the Alberta Hospital. And at the time, advocates for vulnerable folks were saying, how are my clients supposed to get up there? How are they supposed to bus all the way up there? Um, And now it looks like another detox center is moving outside of the downtown core. Yes, we're trying to decentralize, but also it brings the question of If you can't get there easily on a bus, how do you expect people to use this service? It is right beside a a transit center, though.
0: Well, people don't need to be on the bus because Edmonton is a bike haven. They can just ride their bike everywhere. And on that note, there is a very good news story. Uh, Paths for People late last year was lamenting, hey, we had a landmark $100 million of funding for bike lanes and a rapid investment strategy. What happened with that? And um, we have some answers to exactly what happened and what is happening with that.
1: Yeah, so I reached out to the city and I, I said basically the same thing. Like, remember this? Can you tell me more about this? It's been about a year. So they and then shortly afterwards, the city announced 10 new routes. They're all going to be shared use paths three meters wide. They're all pretty much along big arterials like 66th Street between 137th Ave and 153rd Ave. And then down in the south side, 23rd Avenue is going to be getting a couple segments from 50th Street to 85th Street and then 111th Street to 119th Street. So just kind of, you when you look, you can see that a lot of the links That are missing are being kind of strung together. We spoke to a cyclist that lives in the north side of Edmonton and she said now there's going to be continuous connection between all of the transit centers and between the LRTs. She's going to ride the new routes every single day because it's just going to be super helpful to help her get run her errands and get around her neighborhood. She said she was delighted and surprised that they were focusing so much on the north side.
0: Almost all of the new routes are in the north side of Edmonton, mm-hmm. other than a couple south side routes all along uh, 23rd Ave. The city has said, basically, we're picking the low-hanging fruit. We're doing the mm-hmm. easiest stuff first. Thinking of 23rd Ave, that's a huge right-of-way. It's got boulevard trees. Like There's a lot of space. It is trivial to throw down some asphalt for a bike mm-hmm. path there. So too is one of the big segments of the north side, right along Fort Road, which anyone who has been up in Fort Road, we've just made the road wider. So, you know, there's an even larger chasm uh, right there beside which you can bike along. These are areas that have huge rights of way that it's easy to just plop down some asphalt and no one is really contesting it. The uh, 100 million is going to be spread across two more additional years. There's 2025 and 2026 to spend and basically complete the bike network. In the subsequent two years, we're going to get a lot more difficult problems. Places in the core area where we have to start thinking about reducing lanes and dealing with traffic congestion and uh, complex intersections. That's when I expect this discussion to get a little bit spicy. Right now, this is a good news story for 2024, for basically everyone involved.
1: No complaints, it's just a essentially a large sidewalk. I don't see how anyone could be mad about that. (laughs) In talking with
0: the city, did you get a sense of sort of like how many dollars this year they're spending of this hundred million?
1: It's interesting because it's 17 kilometers that is being built this year. And there are 675 kilometers of new and then improved routes identified throughout the whole city. So that's obviously a very small portion. Um a lot of them are gonna be built by developers when they're making roads and whatnot in their new neighborhoods. Um, And then some of them are going to be built through roadway rehabilitation. So if they're repaving the whole road, hey, throw a bike lane in there. And some of them are through the neighborhood renewal process. Same sort of idea is like finding synergies. I, I didn't get a clear picture on exactly how much of 100 million these 10 new routes
0: are. I do have a bit of fear about this process because part of the approval was... Expedited. This was supposed to be a very, very fast process. And while I'm glad to have some stuff, this is striking me as sort of anything but fast. And maybe, maybe this is very, very fast for the city. Maybe we've shaved six years off the process for these 17 kilometers of routes. But it, it does make me worry about the ability to complete this connected network in just an additional two years after this is sort of all we could do after one and a half, two years?
1: I echo everything you say that, um, yes, go bike lanes. It's good to have this after the last year of waiting, but also at the same time, if at the end of uh, 2026, if we only have just over 45 kilometers of bike infrastructure, that's not going to look good to anyone. It's a bit of a anticlimactic achievement to have all of these routes, which some of the paths didn't even have sidewalks there before.
0: You know, we fought very hard for this bike infrastructure. We did a novel thing where, you know, we are investing in this bike infrastructure so we can be the first step on becoming the new Amsterdam and getting this dedicated infrastructure. If this is backfilling the sort of abdication of responsibility to just build a complete city initially, it almost feels like once again, a subsidy on roadways, right? We build these huge road right of ways, didn't even think of putting a sidewalk there. And then we have to fight tooth and nail, fight the bike lane fight to get this bike lane funding and just fill in an incomplete roadway. I want my bike infrastructure to be, you know, downtown so that I don't have to worry about getting right hooked on red. I want protected intersections. I want really high quality infrastructure that gets me to where I want to go. And I do want these shared use paths. But if this is all we're getting from this innovative accelerated 100 million, it kind of feels like everyone loses, right? The drivers say, you paid 100 million and I'm only seeing one new bike lane downtown. That's it. And the cyclists are kind of like, we paid 100 million and we get a bunch of shared use paths that dog walkers walk on the wrong side and, you know, have mediocre clearing in winter. And it kind of feels like everyone might lose. I I hope it doesn't end like that. But it's a risk. But of course, shared use paths aren't just for bikes and people walking their dogs and pooping without putting it in a bag. Yes, we see you dog walkers in the city of Edmonton. They're also used uh, for Mm e-scooters. Of course, if you ask the city of Edmonton Insight community, we will say that e-scooters exclusively ride on the sidewalk and harass old women. But we have found out that e-scooters, Edmonton is one of the premier e-scooter destinations in North America and even the world. And micromobility companies are really excited to come back to Edmonton.
1: Yeah, so this story basically came out. I don't know if you really heard, but in the States, the U.S. arm of Bird e-scooters, they filed for bankruptcy. And immediately I was like, no, please don't (laughs) die because I love e-scooters. But that is a different company. And Bird's spokesperson was very clear with me. No, don't worry. Chill out. Apparently, Edmontonians and people visiting Edmonton absolutely love to take e-scooters. There was a quarter million trips across the region on Bird. So that would be in St. Albert, Leduc, Spruce Grove and Edmonton. That's where Bird's are and then in for limes there was uh, 920,000 trips in 2023 which was nearly triple the amount of rides that were taken in 2022 and it had particularly high demand across the summer months with certain periods of time edmonton being the top city in the world for uh, for lime scooters and e-bikes
0: i sat down after reading this and i was trying to rationalize what is it about edmonton that makes us so appealing because you know sure, we might not have great transit infrastructure, but most cities in North America don't have great transit infrastructure. We're a pretty large winter city. I mean, we do have some great summer nights, so that might be great. But like, you know, so does Winnipeg. I was trying very hard to think, what is it that makes Edmonton unique? And honestly, I couldn't think of much. Maybe it's an amalgamation of a lot of things. Maybe it's just people are like, Take an e-scooter. It's the most Edmonton thing you can do. Maybe we've just decided to be, and that's the reason. Did you get any sense from talking with any of the e-scooter companies exactly why they think Edmonton is so successful?
1: So I'll start with what they told me, and then I'll tell you my conspiracy theory. <laughs> okay, so basically, uh, the representatives for the two companies, Lime and Bird, told me that Edmonton, in particular, is kind of ahead of the curve because uh, Vancouver and Toronto and Montreal have all gone through various like phases of banning micromobility outright, or you know, they're kind of warming up to it. But basically, uh, Limes and Birds have been in Edmonton since 2019, I believe, and you know, it hasn't really been a problem here. Some of the reasons for that is the the bike lanes, the protected bike lane network. And this is all according to the spokespeople from the companies. And then having dedicated areas for parking for the scooters, just really being friendly and wanting this when other big cities in Canada just don't really seem to be that friendly to them. Okay, so here is my here is my conspiracy theory that I'm going to put on my tin hat for a little bit here. Oilers are in the playoffs in spring to summer 2023. That means that every single time there's a game night, there's like sometimes thousands, tens of thousands of people going to Rogers Place. But the thing is, is that our downtown is so not dense that people have to still scooter around instead of walking from their hotels or bars or whatnot to rogers place and also if they're parking lots of people park in chinatown and then walk over but no they don't walk they take the scooter and uh the city tracks where each scooter is picked up and dropped off and like a hot spot is obviously around rogers place so i think that like i think the oilers game have been a reason why e-scooters and e-bikes have been so popular because like i remember one night i went to an oilers game and my idea to get home for the night was to take e e-scooter and i had to walk all the way from Rogers Place to i think past City Hall to find an e-scooter. So this is that's my conspiracy theory that the Oilers are behind uh lime uh having such a successful year, but i don't know, maybe i'm crazy. I
0: mean, it's funny that you mentioned that cuz i had not in Edmonton but an identical experience. Uh back in July i went and saw Taylor Swift in Seattle. Uh and you know, so we were staying, you know, there are 90,000 people going to see her, so we had to stay quite a distance away. We took uh, e-bikes, Lime e-bikes to get to the stadium and we're thinking, yeah, okay, we'll just take e-bikes back or whatever. It was easy to get there. When we arrived, there was probably 700 Lime scooters just like lined up on the plaza of people who arrived that way we ended up walking the nearly like 10 kilometers back to our hotel because we kept trying to find a lime, and someone would jump on and take it further. There was a mass migration of people all jumping on. I think like this major event scenario, I think you're nailing on it that that's really where mobility shines mm-hmm. because you can use it to go seven blocks to a different train line or to your car or anything like that. Um, maybe the Oilers are in on it. Maybe Daryl Cates worked behind the scenes to set the bylaw, and that's why we're so friendly. And it all aligns. Why is that station at Rogers Place so woefully under capacity? It all comes back to Lime. I am attributing this statement directly to you, Stephanie. <laughs> this is what you opined.
1: <laughs> follow the money. Follow the money. <laughs>
0: and of course, if you're better in Phil Edmonton, you're tapping the sign that says follow the money. Now with a new zoning bylaw, we've got several rezonings, six of them came to a public hearing that are really testing the new zoning bylaw and performing some rezoning and performing some uh, zoning upgrades. In the flavor of our new zoning bylaw,
1: this is just something I noticed while looking at uh, the city council agendas, as well as writing on the agenda, and it was just bizarre to me because it was something that I haven't noticed in the couple years now that I've been, you know, looking at public hearing agendas every single time they come up. Is that six different rezonings, and they were all making the buildings taller, or adding residential units, or changing it? That was just kind of, sort of in the spirit of this like mixed-use, dense, uh, walkable neighborhood. So there's two and. Oliver. There's one in Queen Mary, kind of up by Nate, one in the Alberta Avenue area, Uh, one in the like strip mall that the uh, White Mud Park Library's in. That one was interesting that they want to add residential to that lot. And then one was the McKernan area and it was across the street from the skate park and the spray park that's now going to, uh, got approved to become a four-story building with some housing and a you know, a ground level retail or whatever on, on the bottom. And I talked to uh, the CEO of one of the companies that was putting forward this rezoning. And I wanted to know, like, why are you up zoning right after the zoning bylaw got approved? Is this just a coincidence? Or are you kind of taking advantage, so to speak, of these new zones? And he told me, there's a couple reasons. He said that there's been a bit of a bottleneck of rezoning applications since approximately October because, you know, budgets in there and kind of coincidental that there's been all these uh, rezoning applications in this one meeting on Tuesday. He wouldn't say uh, necessarily one way or the other if the ZBR was to blame for this. But he did say that he hoped that the new zoning bylaw would lead to less direct control zones because you know, that puts the developer in such a tight little shoebox for what they are allowed to build there. Whereas the standard zones are a lot more flexible in a way, and they just kind of allow you to respond to the market and build what people want. I'm going to definitely be keeping an eye on this, like the next public hearing and the next one to see if it continues to be like another six rezonings or even more, because I think that's an interesting pattern that you were seeing. Okay, uh, the new bylaw came into effect and all of a sudden, boom, 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 there's all these upzoning, upzoning, upzoning.
0: What we're not seeing in the public hearings are all the new developments that are popping up around Edmonton that don't re- need rezoning mm-hmm. anymore. I, I think even just walking through my neighborhood, I can see a couple places where there's row houses popping up where previously that was an illegal housing type. And when I look around and see these new missing middle housing types appearing, I'm like, that's that seems to be the effect of legalizing housing. Now, maybe this is just me and my speaking in front of council uh, being optimistic, <laughs> But I like to think that part of this is we are seeing developers and we are seeing an excitement of investing in Edmonton. And that might just be part of this is, you know, there is developers moving into Edmonton to build in this more permissive environment and they see opportunities. Like, for example, I will say White Mud Crossing by that library that does seem like a really rife potential because you have schools in the area, you have Southgate Mall, you have transit. And we know with the new bike plan that that's going to be serviced by uh, a bike grid soon, quote unquote, TM. (laughs) So hopefully this is just an exciting new thing. But this is definitely something that I'd love for you to keep an eye on and track because data is always fun.
1: Yeah, I definitely will. And I hope that the somehow we're able to see the new developments that don't require a rezoning. I know that other cities track that because I've just seen that data that shows, you know, after we did this mass upzoning, this is how many new housing units of that style were built. Um, I really hope that we're able to have that information because I think it would just be fascinating to see we made such a big deal about the zoning bylaw, what actually happened after it was passed.
0: Yeah, that would be fascinating. Not only because my favorite words to ever say are, I told you so. Um, And I'd love to be able to. One other thing to keep an eye on is, you know, we were talking earlier in OP12 about the lean financial situation that Edmonton finds itself in and how we're trying to look under every couch cushion to find Mm -hmm. some spare money. And oh boy, did council find some spare money with nearly $6 million for Explore Edmonton. What's going on with that?
1: Council gave Explore Edmonton about $6 million over the past couple of weeks. Uh, $1.2 million of that is in unpaid taxes that essentially Explore Edmonton just didn't know they had to pay, (laughs) which is... Um, A little bit troubling.
0: It's the government of Alberta way.
1: Yeah. Afterwards, the next week, another report came to council that it was Explore Edmonton with the cup out again saying, hey, we actually need more money to cover our taxes and utilities and insurance. And we also need more money to increase our annual budget to account for inflation because, you know, our scope has increased and our funding hasn't. So they asked for $3 million. So if you're keeping track, that's about $4.2 million. And council said, let's just give them six for the whole package. $6 million. (laughs) So that's what happened in the last few weeks with Explore Edmonton. And it's just really bizarre. I mean, I wonder who's to blame. Is it Explore Edmonton for not managing their finances correctly? Or is it City Council for not properly increasing the budget for a government adjacent body that generates investment and return for the city?
0: Yeah. And of course, this is another cudgel that City Council doesn't want hanging over their heads because CSU52 immediately picked up on this and said, you don't have money for your employees, but you have $6 million for Explore Edmonton. You know, you don't have money for our raises, but you have money for a 2.4% council salary increase. All of these things, when you have a vexatious union negotiation coming up, are just not the things that council wants to be talking about right now.
1: Yeah. So again, this is something that I'm going to be keeping an eye on to see if there's More explanation that can come out of it, and and we'll see if like OP twelve affects us at all as well.
0: Try as they might to cut budgets with OP twelve, they cannot cut the rapid fire segment. It's coming in right now. A boom in romance novels has spurred new brick and mortar booksellers dedicated to the genre, including one in Edmonton. The book boudoir caters to a fan base of unabashedly proud romance readers, whether they're looking for large, popular on book talk authors or they're looking for more local, independent fare like their current hit. I caught Dale McFeelings. It's a relatively explicit tale in which a helpless damsel, Edmonton City Council, takes an impossibly large, growing, and throbbing police budget.
1: I don't think I want to co host anymore. Alberta's wildfire season has officially started 10 days early. Traditionally, the season begins on March 1st, but Forest and Parks Minister Todd Lowen said the government wanted to get a head start. In a press release, the ministry said, We had a burning, like the province will be later this year, passion to get started on our wildfire work this season. We rely on increasingly large wildfire seasons to meet our carbon emission targets after consumer carbon taxes have kept them artificially low.
0: End Poverty Edmonton is assessing how council's funding cuts have impacted their mission. Funding from council will decrease every year until 2026, after which there will be no ongoing funding. Said board member Ben Henderson on the prospect of losing their staff in their space, quote, I know we say having lived experience is helpful when talking about houselessness, but don't we think this is a little much? And of course, Speaking Municipally is a publication of Taproot Edmonton, and we want to talk about the Taproot Edmonton calendar. I like to peruse the Taproot Edmonton calendar, and of course, I'm seeing on the calendar for this weekend, weekend, the Winter Cycling Congress. This uh, appeals to me as a uh, cyclist. I think that was revealed in the bike segment today. All of that's going on this week, and of course... It's a conference. It's kind of boring and expensive, but there are community events going on around it. Specifically on Friday, there is the War on Cars podcast doing a live recording with former Edmonton Mayor Don Iveson. I will be there. And if you like podcasts and cycling and Don Iveson, which seems to be a pretty good trifecta of our listenership, you'll probably like that too. Uh, Stephanie, did you see anything on the calendar that appealed to you?
1: Well, I was going to go to the Warren Cars podcast. I actually brought, bought my tickets, but then something came up at the last minute and I had to return them. And I'm really, really sad about it. But I am going to the free event tonight that will, of course, be done once this podcast comes out. But uh, with all the urbanist YouTubers, I'm very excited for that. Um, Another thing is, I think, Pith that's on at Varscona. It looks really good. I would love to go see that one. I I love a good play.
0: Plays are great, just like the play you're making for the co-host role, undermining Mac (laughs) and stealing his rug out from beneath him. I don't know who will be back next week, but someone will be back next week on this podcast. And we look forward to chatting then. Until then, I'm Troy.
1: I'm Stephanie.
0: And we are Speaking Speaking Municipally. Municipally.